Today in the Marshall Pro Podcast, in our Week in Sports Cars show, we have myself, Marshall Pruitt, still a little bit punch drunk from an insane Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. Very, very far across the pond, we have our good pal, my co-pilot, the editor of DailySportsCar.com, also a voice you likely hear while watching FIWC rounds and other races, that being Graham Goodwin, fresh off of season finale in Bahrain. So what are we doing today on the Week in Sports Cars? Absolutely nothing about either of those races. We have all your questions that, frankly, we just did not have time to get to before both went off. So we're going to knock out your pre-Sebring, pre-Bahrain questions. Send out a quick and immediate call for new questions to wrap up those races. We're going to get to those, hopefully, on Tuesday. Mr. Goodwin, I'd say, how are you? But I know we're on short time because you have to catch a plane home and start a 24-hour trek to get back to the U.K. So as our official selecta, uh, tell us where we're going as soon as we say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Uh, good evening, everybody around the world. Yeah, you're right. 24 hours, I'm afraid. That's the state of international air travel at the moment. It should only be seven and a half. Um, we're going to go with him, sir, and uh, look forward to almost it's not quite setting the scene for what we've already seen. Um, boy, is there a lot to talk about there. But uh, just digging a bit deeper into what I know, uh, Marshall, particularly for you, has been a pretty packed news agenda over the last uh, few days. Um, there's been there's been quite some scoopage on uh, racer.com. Hashtag scoopage. I think we got a new one there. <laughs> yeah, as I mentioned on the last episode, just saying, I have had so much fun being able to dive in and just really put the blinders on to everything else. And uh, is it is it wrong of me to say I have been absolutely surprised at how much news is just sitting out there? Um, I mean, it truly took me two or three days of effort to come up with what I think might be eight to nine significant stories of new programs. Yeah. And there's more to come. Uh, So yeah, I feel bad if anything, because if I had been able to focus properly on uh, both IMSA and IndyCar equally, uh, I think a lot of these things might've been broken earlier. So yeah, it's been a blast, but where do we go first in IMSA, my man? Well, let's go with, uh, Oh, who's this guy? There's a name. New. don't think uh, Daniel Summersgill. Is that a name you've come across before? Never, but we welcome you to the show, Daniel. Yeah, first time caller, first time uh, questioner. Where does Corvette go with BMW leading GTLM? With the news that BMW Team RL are likely to be going endurance only, that was uh, one of those scoopage, wasn't it, uh, in into next year. Where does this leave Corvette? Do they follow Sweet, uh, Sweet, says it, Suit, actually, and perhaps do WC Spa and Le Mans 2? Remain as is convert to gt3 and running gtd which probably won't be that straightforward either basically i think reading between the lines here putting away all the punctuation and all the kind of what's going on in gtlm here's what i need to open with in terms of an answer our newest listener daniel summers gill before we get yeah, to the corvette and bmw angles the thing that i did not dive into when i wrote the bmw very heavily leaning expected to tip to step down to just the four endurance rounds next year. This is, I've come to learn. I had heard a little bit about this when I wrote that piece. I've heard more about it since, and it is part of a bigger plan, 
assuming that plan goes forward. So what is that plan? Well, I, ha- I understand that the discussions going on with GTLM entrance, the uh, manufacturer base, is that provided IMSA goes to this GT3-based GT structure in 2022, the oft-written, I know you've written about it, Graham, I know others mm-hmm. have written about it, the pro-pro option, which would allow manufacturers to play using the GT3 customer cars they sell and maintaining the existing Pro-Am, which we know as GT Daytona, provided GTLM's numbers drop down and we have questions as to whether it's truly viable or sustainable, the plan would be for some or all manufacturers involved to just make a wholesale shift in 2022 to this GT3 Pro Pro dynamic. So what we have here, Daniel, and where this BMW piece has substance is provided everything goes forward in 2022, Pro Pro, Pro Am, this is where the, okay, then, well, we're going to step back a little bit next year and prepare and ramp up for this new GT3-based category we're going to be in as a manufacturer. So if this 2022 plan is finalized, then I absolutely expect BMW to be down to those four NAEC rounds. I've heard nothing about Corvette doing that. Not saying they won't, not saying they will, just saying I have heard nothing about it. But I do know that there is something here related to BMW that is really a bit of a trigger point. If we have this pro-pro thing coming, limited BMW presence next year in GTLM. If by chance this 2022 GT3 pro-pro falls apart and does not happen, and I mean uh, that decision is made in a very short time frame here, Daniel, days, weeks at most, then I think we might see BMW opt to remain full-time next year, knowing that GTLM will not indeed essentially be going away. So it's a car count thing. It's a volume thing. And if it stays as is, we know that, again, we expect to have the two Corvettes, right? We've uh, been knowing about some Driver development things, obviously, Ollie Gavin retiring. Uh, been speculation for a while now as for who will replace him. Uh, I don't know if we're, we should get into that today or in the next episode, Graham. But yeah, let's, go, let's talk next episode about that. I mean, um, it's it's I think pretty widely known. We've talked about it before. Who the belief is is uh, the the man. Uh, the top of that potential pile but i think let's leave that one for the, the kind of post sebring thing but okay. yeah the, the gtlm gte uh, pro side of things is a very live question of course in both camps and I, I think more so far more so for imsa and i would just say daniel while i cannot claim to have any inside knowledge on this would just say from a real basic observational standpoint knowing how much time and money and effort has been invested by Corvette into its new C8R GTLM vehicle. If IMSA were to go forward with this GT3-based manufacturer class, I would assume that they would follow suit. Uh, The thought of them getting out or redeveloping an all-new car, I don't see either of those as being feasible or realistic. We know for a fact they're going forward next year. That's not a question. 
in their doing things and talking about shuffles with the their endurance drivers as well to indicate that they're planning on doing a full season uh, with full-time drivers and possibly uh, some adjustments to their endurance stuff. So, uh, again, I think we're safe in saying Corvette's going to be here full-time next year, Graham, but I would definitely say that if GTLM does disappear at the end of 2021, uh, would I expect Corvette to be working on, if not now, here very soon on a GT3 conversion for those? 100%. So uh, these are the things I'm confident about. Big, big pivot point, though, is if and when IMSA decides they're going to announce that GTLM will be heading into its swan song uh, or if it's going to continue. It's an interesting point right now. And oddly enough, I think there's a parallel story here that might give listeners uh, a better level of understanding. Uh, I'm watching from afar at the moment. I'm about to write something about DTM's attempted reinvention of itself. And there was a very interesting uh, press conference they held or public um, video conference they held uh, where it was pretty clear that what you had were two sides to this debate. There was the DTM ITR, the sanctioning body or the promoting body side, desperate to show stability, level of interest, buy-in. And then you've got the factory guys who were there. I mean, Chris Renke from Audi was a classic example of it, that when pushed about, and you're behind this, aren't you, Chris, was immediately back uh, being as positive as he could, but making it clear it was customer motorsport. I guess the point I'm making here is, you might be sitting listening to the weekend sports cars here and thinking, why don't they just do it? What they're looking for is something the DTM don't currently have a business case. They're looking for something sustainable. Whereas DTM is in direct immediate survival mode. IMSA simply isn't at that point at all. They don't need to make a, um, a big red button call today while they've still got options. Those options are tough ones to take it's a big call whichever way they actually go there is the issue around the viability for um those factory teams to go to le mans that's a separate issue again uh, because if they go in a direction that the aco don't that means that your factory teams likely aren't going to the le mans 24 hours and i don't see today despite whatever else you've read around there in terms of stories half stories rumors sources etc I just don't see that we're at that point for the FIWC and for the Le Mans 24 hours quite yet uh, because there was a healthy, healthy marketplace, not least in those second-generation cars going through the customer marketplace in GTM. They're not going to give up those double figures of entries lightly. Uh, but it is an interesting moment, isn't it? And I think you're right. The, the clock is now probably ticking more loudly and more quickly than is particularly comfortable for IMSA right now. Let's move on. Um, Ryan Terpstra says, uh, is there any word, MP, on where the all-women lineup in IMSA stands for 2021 after what Ryan calls vaporware? I, I think that's slightly unfair, but the failed, I guess, uh, program disappeared in 2020. I will take one of my very few yellow cards that gets – it's not a red card, it's a, but a yellow card that I throw up uh, during – a year's worth of the weekend sports cars and hold that yellow card in your face, Graham Goodwin. That was absolutely vaporware. Uh, this guy, uh, Mark, whatever his name was, 
lots of, of sound and fury to open the season, uh, so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden decided, oh, well, all the money and all the bills and all the things, they're all bad. And I realized that we could use COVID as part of the excuse, but no, uh, I think this person overstated, overclaimed, over everything, and then found really convenient excuses to get out from under it. So, yeah, uh, I would lean towards vaporware, um, knowing a lot of things that I haven't been able to put in print or know on background. I would just say that Ryan's assumption is pretty sharp here. But you, between the two of us, are always the kinder man, so of course you would not uh, go down that route. Um, I can tell you this, Ryan can't answer that right now because i don't have a proper answer for you uh, i've heard a pretty solid wedge worth of rumors but i do not have firm answers for you did speak with Catherine leg uh, what a week 10 days ago did a story about her recovery and her plans to come back uh starting in january of next year so it sounds like there's something in the old hopper but not quite ready to announce what it is so uh, of the many questions about IMSA next year, this is one that I can't wait to answer. And uh, even better to get to a point to where I can answer it, because right now I can't. Uh, fair point. I think there's a lot more to be written about all women crews on both sides of the Atlantic. There's details still to be got to on that front. Uh, what's next? John Richter, Ganassi News is great. You can explain exactly what that is for anybody that's here. And why haven't you? I haven't read your story from race.com. Besides the obviousness of Dixon being the third driver, because of course he will be, any further news? Where will their chassis come from? Um, any hope for Young Cost returning to IMSA? Fun stuff. Had <laughs> been hearing about a desire for a heavy-hitting team to replace Wayne Taylor Racing. Wayne Taylor Racing leaving Cadillac now uh, with Sebring over. They will be moving. They've just taken receipt of one Acura ARX 05 DPI. Knowing that that had been the biggest question coming into the latter stages of the season, Graham, hey, Wayne Taylor is leaving Cadillac. That's a pretty big void, right? We know that Action Express won the championship in 2018. But before that, we with a Cadillac, but the Wayne Taylor group were the original DPI champs for Cadillac in 2017, did the vast majority of the development on the car, vying for a title all this year, lost by what, one point, two points, whatever it was yeah, here at Sebring. But overarching point, this has been the most competitive Cadillac entry in DPI going to another brand. What happens with Cadillac? Do they just try and amplify their relationship with Action Express Racing and JDC Miller to try and get the most out of them? That's all we'd heard. And that's what we assumed for a good long while was going to be the case. There's just going to be a deficit of one title contending Cadillac moving into 2021. Then in, I would say, maybe the last month or so, started hearing that, uh uh-huh, maybe there's an interest to try and backfill that Wayne Taylor spot. The first rumor I'd heard was Penske. And I said, hmm, I I love the sound of it, but that doesn't quite fit because I know where the vast majority of all their personnel and crew are going next year, Graham, and there's not enough to run a, to stay in Empson and run a sports car team. Secondarily, 
there might not be enough kind of Penske type folks out there waiting in the world to be hired to run a new program. So that didn't line up. Um, I'd heard whispers that it could be either Andretti or Ganassi. And then this past Wednesday morning, uh, the day after I was at Laguna with the Ganassi team, and believe it or not, uh, it wasn't discussed. It wasn't mentioned. It was there was nothing there. Um, they did ask me funnily enough. I got a call, I think Thursday from one of their commission communications people. Funny that I can't say the word communications properly, uh, saying, Hey, just want to check. Were you there with us on Tuesday and had like a, you know, kind of breaking story to run that you didn't tell us about? It said, no, uh, genuinely and honestly, you can look at my call logs. Well, you can't, but if you were to look at the names of the people who called uh, somewhat early Wednesday morning, more or less from Sebring, telling me that, hey, we've heard that uh, Ganassi and Cadillac and this is going to be a thing, like it did all actually pop off the following morning. I mean, eight, eight, ten hours after I got home from Laguna. But that is what happened. And so had confirmation of all that. I won't go into it here uh, because I don't know if it's appropriate yet. But the source, the main source of where this information came from, Graham, actually, I think you know because I told you, but it's surprise, <laughs> y'all, um, <laughs> right? If we think about a leak springing on a ship and how that might lead to other leaks, like this was a real surprise where the, the quote leak came from, which then led one person to call me who was just spun out. And then two more called me within a very short time span. And all of a sudden uh, we had a story. So. That's the deal there with Ganassi going to a Cadillac. All unconfirmed, of course. You know, we'll, of course, we're going to play that game because it hasn't been announced by the manufacturer or the team. But we do know that it is happening. As for which chassis, uh, I'm just going to take a pass on that one. Um, Dixon, yes. So this is a just, I think we discussed this, Graham on the last episode of the one before, and I'll just throw it back out quickly for those who don't know. Scott Dixon drove for Wayne Taylor Racing all season, third driver, did the four endurance rounds. Something went down at Petit Le Mans that led Dixon to go over to Michael Shank in the Meyer Shank racing team that's becoming Acura next year to say, "Uh, want me to drive for you? And as I've heard, that was all basically settled up and verbally done, and then with this Ganassi Cadillac development, well, that then changed because all of a sudden, instead of giving Dixon permission to race in a series and class where Ganassi does not compete, all of a sudden they had something formal that said, uh, no, we're not going to have our guy trying to beat us. (laughs) So then all of a sudden Scott Dixon was no longer available to drive Acuras. So, uh, Again, unconfirmed. Scott wasn't at the test on Tuesday, by the way. Um, but unconfirmed on Dixon, but we can assume that's the case. Getting back to close the uh, the question here, Graham. This is one of the finer questions. Who will drive the car uh, full-time? I would say that it might be a case of either not a lot of names that jump out as immediate options um, mm-hmm. We know Renger Van de Zanda and Ryan Briscoe are now free agents. I would not necessarily uh, say that they are immediate or automatic names to bolt into the Ganassi car. Um, 
I've heard rumor of a couple of drivers that might have been contacted, and it certainly had one, if not both, of my eyebrows go, hmm, and raise a bit. So I don't have answers for you, but I don't think it's going to be just a, all right, well, we're going to bolt in the, the drivers from the 10 car, and then off we go. Uh, there might be one driver from the 10, Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, that being Scott Dixon. The other two, uh, I will just tell you, I'm trying to chase that down because uh, if if based on the rumors that I've heard of who might have might be on the list or been contacted, it's it's an interesting thought process of who to go after. It does strike me with a little that uh, you shared and we've discussed. Uh, this is not going to be an, eff- an effort that is a placeholder, is it? No, no, no. Where else should we go, my man, knowing that, again, you've got a uh, flight okay. coming up here soon, and we've got to get to you and WEC and all kinds of good stuff? Uh, let's have a quick crack at James Counter. Talks, uh, he says, this is the third time I've submitted it, so better try and insult your mother rather than you. Yes. Um, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> um, is Hyundai's sponsorship of Imsret Laguna purely advertising, or is there more to read into this? Is this a foreshadowing of anything other than their TCR involvement? Pure sponsorship would say, though, James, and thanks for the insult about my mother, um, Hyundai, Hyundai, as they tell us to pronounce it, Hyundai like Sunday, uh, Hyundai has been about the most active in terms of newish friends to IMSA in sports car racing, really digging into their marketing budget and trying to be excellent members of the community spending money, promoting, and really embracing what we do here so heavily. So I love the fact that we are seeing Hyundai try and do things in a big way. And so that's no disrespect to the longstanding partners and IMSA manufacturers who have been spending and promoting all along. Just saying among the newer ones, they stand just absolutely far above anyone else. Now, your question, which is centered on promotions and does this point towards elevated future involvement beyond TCR, I would say let's decouple the two. Uh, their expenditure and good standing in the paddock by helping to promote heavily, that's just them loving where they're at, trying to get the most out of this to activate and sell cars. Would there be a decent possibility of Hyundai moving up and doing bigger things in IMSA outside of the Michelin Pilot Challenge class, possibly in the WeatherTech Championship? DPI is a thing, of course, we've been talking about and hoping about forever. I'd say that there's a very decent chance that could happen as well, James, but I would not tie marketing promotions and expenditures today as a foreshadowing of what could come. If they never leave TCR... I would say we can expect the same level of uh, marketing awesomeness from our pals at Hyundai. There you go. And we've had, of course, uh, other words spoken uh, outside of the U.S. about uh, refocusing of Hyundai um, and their motorsport programs, their their focuses. And there's been a, a more than speculation, let's put it that way, that uh, they're taking a good, hard look at uh, sports cars. We know they've been in those technical groups, the much-vaunted technical groups, to look at new rules. And, uh, well, I think a little bit of patience might just be rewarded. 
All of this stuff, though, MP, it, 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 it would be a lot more fun, wouldn't it, had we not just had the nine months we've had? Um, because a lot of the, the bets, if you like, uh, as to the, the viability of people coming forward with programs, whether or not it's marketing people, whether or not that's the brand people, uh, that's all of that's going to be added now with a very healthy dose of hope rather than expectation, bearing in mind the global state of uh, the automotive industry right now. Uh, the, the, it's, it's not going to be quite as simple to put those lists together for quite some time. Move forward, and Tim Glass. The Acuras have been the most consistent DPIs all year. Uh, I know a lot of attention is placed on the BOP-ness, but is it possible that the underlying use of the Orica, clearly the best LMP2 chassis, is also partially to credit or to blame? I would say you're definitely onto something there. I believe we've mentioned this on the show before. By we, I mean I. Definitely might push this back to last year as well uh it's been a little bit apparent to me tim that yeah over the last two years there's been a pretty strong and hard to ignore acura something we know that in their first year in 2018 uh wasn't great at all times very high rear tire consumption uh bop definitely did not seem to be super favorable but two championships on the trot uh, with now both of their entries. Um, this car just seems to be the best and most universal tool among the three DPIs that are running. The Mazdas, we know, as we witnessed last night uh, in Sebring, good Lord, those things can be fearsome, but rarely are they fearsome everywhere. Cadillac, mm-hmm. Uh, we know that those cars can win just about everywhere, but they've also been so heavily sanctioned so heavily uh, weighed down, slowed down, you name it, that it often takes remembering, aha, maybe we need to uh, loosen the handcuffs a tiny little bit to allow them to be more competitive at specific tracks. The Acuras, we've definitely seen them get hit hard by the hashtag uh, over, BOP, over hashtag BOPenis. Um but yeah, I'm with you. I think they are, if I was having to buy a DPI, that would be where I would go. Um, another just quick note, and maybe I'm sure we'll get into more of this during the off season. Mm-hmm. Hard to ignore the fact, Graham, that while there were certainly very solid reasons for the Penske, uh, as we hear someone racing by outside, uh, there are solid reasons for the Penske and Acura relationship to come to an end covered that ad nauseum here i like what's going to happen next year with the two independent teams uh running a single entry but i also wonder what that's going to do for acura in terms of their rather strong championship presence it's really easy to say hi two car team one of you is in the title hunt the other one is not uh we are paying for you to be on the motor racing circuit. So uh, we want the one car to support the other car. When you have two independent teams uh, who are now spending a lot more money uh, to make these programs happen out of their own pocket, and despite being aligned to the same manufacturer, Graham, uh, the sponsors that will be on the Meyershank Racing entry and the Wayne Taylor Racing entry, wholly independent. And so the, the thought of high 
if by chance one of them is in a stronger championship position next year. We'd like the other one of you to fall back. That's a really hard ask because you're not you're not paying for the whole thing as you once were. And B, uh, they have might have a paying driver in a car. Uh, they might have drivers just simply bringing some sponsorship with them instead of it being like just a true call it am type driver, just someone that has a, a business stake in things. It might just be their own sponsors, whatever it is. I think that conversation becomes a little bit harder. Um, so interesting to see how this might play out next year. Uh, I'm always happy to see a manufacturer spreading its goods among more teams, but I am curious as to how that might negatively affect uh, their championship run, provided they have a championship uh, in their grasp next year. Uh, I think final one for the moment from IMSA, at least. Uh, I'm going to pick this one from Eric Eric Hardrader. Uh, Ollie Gavin, um, of course, we saw yesterday evening his final full season drive for uh, Corvette Racing. Uh, Circumstances of his departure, put fairly bluntly here by Eric, did he jump or was he pushed? I don't have the answer to that, Eric. I can tell you that in the conversation that I had with Ollie a week ago or so, um, as he told us, this was something he'd been thinking about for a little bit, started having serious discussions about it over the summer and led to where we are here. Uh, Based on some things that, I don't know, again, Graham, I'm I'm struggling because normally we'd be uh, breaking down all things from the most current race. Mm -hmm. With some of the anticipated driver changes uh, manufacturer changes in GTLM, uh, the driver who has been long, ru- or I should say long, has been rumored to replace Oliver, well, uh, that being Nick Tandy, uh, and I believe uh, on the IMSA coverage at Laguna Seca, that being IMSA Radio, was the first time that I had heard Nick's name publicly associated with that seat. So, Provided that bears out as we expect, we need to acknowledge where we heard that first publicly, that being Radio Show Limited. Um, I had heard months ago, and and this would have been summer as well. And so uh, in speaking with Ollie and him mentioning that this started happening during summer, during that conversation, which wasn't about burrowing into who's going to replace him, it was about celebrating his career, I will tell you that I had little mental bookmark saying huh that's that now lines up with something that i've been trying to keep in my brain that being conversation with someone within the porsche realm and i would just say in the know impeccable source uh mentioned around what we would have to say summer as well that i would be shocked at who would not be returning to the program knowing that the Porsche GT factory effort uh, announced that it would be leaving at the end of the 2020 season. So just sharing here, and I know this is a little bit of a sidebar to your question, Eric, uh, some of these things line up where you go, "Uh uh-huh, Ollie starting to think about this or this becoming a active topic to solidify uh, along with, "Uh aha, you might be surprised to learn who isn't returning from Porsche. Um, So, Provided that is Nick Tandy, that would indeed be a pretty big shock, but also a perfect fit f- uh, to replace Ollie. Uh, was he jumped or was he pushed? I don't know. Um, 
not being at the track makes it a little bit harder to have some of these conversations because often when you try and pick up the phone to ask these things, the folks on the other end have a pretty good idea what you're going to ask and don't <laughs> pick up. It's a little bit harder yep. to do when you're uh, over at Team X's transporter or standing behind their timing stand at the end of the session. Uh, I might not be able to outrun them, but I can certainly tackle them and hold them pretty good to get an answer. So <laughs> a little bit of a limitation there, Eric. I'll just mention this, and I'm not saying it's accurate, but uh, we did see a year ago that Ian Magnuson's time and tenure came to an end. Um, in the conversation with Ollie, he did mention knowing that, hey, uh, we're needing to you know look to the future and kind of get the future uh, stocked and in motion as well. So I don't know uh, whether it was the team that first said, hey, brother, how long do you think you're going to want to keep going? or if it was him reaching out first, but I do know that in a call it one year span, Graham, we will have seen the two oldest and the Mm -hmm. two uh, most tenured drivers within Corvette racing step away. One with Yan being full-time. I know that he came back for a one-off here uh, at Mm -hmm. Coda, I believe, but, and we still don't have an answer from Ollie as to whether he will indeed be a, you know, third, fourth, whatever driver at, uh, Daytona or Sebring, we hope so, but uh, hard Eric as well to uh, ignore the fact that in you know, 12, 13, 14 months, uh, the two absolutely protectors of the kingdom uh, have announced uh, that they will not be back. Uh, I'll just add this in for just a, just another kind of counterpoint to it. We, oddly enough, we, I think we've spoken on the show about this uh, before, but not in relation to Ollie. Remember, We've come through that period of lockdown, a long period of lockdown. That's probably the longest period of time that Ollie has had at home with his family for the better part of two decades. Things can change in terms of your mindset in in those periods of time. And whether or not there was something, a potential opportunity or offer sitting in front of him that he had the call for, uh, part of me says, I hope I don't know. It's a straight answer. Uh, it's had enough of a career that I'm happy to respect that distance. But just bear in mind we're coming through that period of time where people were thinking in very different ways about their own personal, professional, and family situations. And um, whatever happens, uh, I, I can't think of anybody uh, that I know or indeed would like to know has uh, got anything other than absolute respect for Oliver and what he's achieved over this period of his career. He's got the absolute respect of his peers. Um, you know, the beloved name of the captain. Uh, I wonder who's going to get that uh, moniker moving forward. Uh, but um, whatever happens next for Oliver Gavin, let's hope he's still involved with the sport because he's a beloved member of the family. Um I think for the moment, bearing in mind our our self-imposed time constraints, it's time to move on. And is it going to be time for you to chuck a few questions at me from our selection of Weck Aslam's Elms Echo? It is. And I just want to throw in one final piece on Ollie because I just remembered it. Uh, A friend of mine sent me some photos, happened upon a function at the Corvette Racing transporter uh might have been friday might have been saturday morning i'm not sure but the entire team gathered uh to say thank you and say farewell to ollie presented him with a plaque and um he was absolutely overcome with tears and it was just a beautiful beautiful thing so 
It's one thing to do that final race, climb out of the car. They give you a round of applause and give you hugs. It's another thing to stop everything, bring everybody out from both transporters, all the mechanics, all the everybody, the small yellow army under that tent and pay tribute to the captain, um, making sure that nobody misses the time they've taken for that honoring. Uh, just beautiful and, and, and classic and classy Corvette racing approach. Uh, by the way, apologies. There is another bit of a, a postscript to this, which is um, someone else is stepping away from the team at the end of this year. And it's somebody that if you've been to Le Mans in recent years, you may not know the name. You may not know him by sight, but you'll have heard him because it's David James is stepping away uh, from Corvette Racing and takes retirement at the end of this year. Why have you heard him? Because he's the man who comes out with the dinner hooter. Oh, boy, the dinner hooter. <laughs> that sounds like a strip club there somewhere in South London. All right. Should we now properly get to Weck Aslam yes, Elms Echo? Okay, uh, compared to improperly. Rob Horn, hi, Rob, says... Graham, what are car counts looking like in the European Le Mans series for next year? And are we going to get more of the Jutas, the Grand Tours? Uh, right. Thanks for that one, Rob. Uh, the answer is slight period of flux at the moment. And there's a reason for that. The reason comes because of the WEC moving back to a six race uh, calendar. A provisional calendar at the moment for 2021, which means that budgets uh, in the WEC have come down quite considerably. I was talking to one uh, team principal over the weekend, part of a story that I'm hoping you're going to be able to read on Daily Sports Car tomorrow uh, to do with prospects and LMP2. Um, and budgets for a full WEC, uh, as opposed to ELMS plus Le Mans, less than 10% difference. Uh, between the two and of course the big plus going with the WEC is you're guaranteed you're going to Le Mans so that I think has been a bit of a head turner for a number of people it's certainly why for instance uh, into Europe all competition uh, you know beloved Polish flag team uh, going down the road of the WEC uh, it looks to me like WEC is going to have a pretty healthy LMP2 contingent um, ELMS can afford to lose a couple but it need not necessarily be like that. I think they'll lose a few, and I think they'll gain some from either the LMP3 uh, teams or from elsewhere. So I expect LMP2 numbers in ELMS to be healthily in the double-figures bracket. As for the remainder of the grid, well, of course, the ELMS usually oversubscribed uh, in terms of LMP3, so there is room to grow that category via the uh, teams that either didn't want to do a, a Michelin Le Mans Cup and only want to do LMS, or the teams that are currently doing Michelin Le Mans Cup and would like to step up. As for the uh, GTs, there's a couple of teams I need to catch up with uh, post-weekend, but uh, everything I'm seeing at the moment would indicate it's the same or marginally better for next year in terms of numbers. There will be some differences in terms of the teams, but everything at the moment appears to be indicating uh, that we're moving to a position where there will be pretty healthy numbers of GTs. And that, again, kind of grazing the bottom end of double figures. The other factor I think you will see in place, I think you are going to see a number of teams, and I think in particular GTE and teams, doing both. 
I think you're going to see some teams that opt to do more racing. It might be that they do a full season of one or a full season of the other and several one-off races, but I think you are going to see a number of teams doing both of the championships um, as a full season programme. So hoping that uh, when we finally get to the point where people ink uh, their names at the bottom of contracts, that all that is is good. But the moment, from my perspective, WC numbers look good, LMS numbers look good, um, and between the two, that's you know basically 12 race meetings we're going to have that I think we can have a lot of fun with. Oh, we're going to take a little pause in the show, friends, and uh, I want to read this, Graham. Uh, it's not specific to Twisk or Weekend Sports mm-hmm. Cars show. It also covers Weekend IndyCar too. Um, and I just, it's just, yeah. Is it the playlist? <laughs> no. Um, so I think I failed to mention at the beginning of the show overnight. I don't remember if I mentioned. I don't genuinely don't remember. We just recorded this a half hour ago. Um, we crossed over to two million downloads for the year overnight. And I just sent a little thank you note on our Facebook page to all those who, you know, helped make that happen. It's, you know, we've never had traffic like this before. Um, So we did the 2 million downloads in 10 and a half months last year across 12 months, we did 1.6. So uh, it's just, yeah. And it's not because we've posted more episodes. It's, it's actually by posting a few less episodes. Uh, So anyways, just posting an appreciation here and, uh, just was tabbing over and see a note here, and I wanted to read this here, and I'll probably read it again on the IndyCar show. It's just me yapping, but this does uh, apply to you as well. Uh, this comes from uh, a good friend of the show. She, uh, Her name is Lynn Henderson Gale, and she Ooh. wrote in to say, MP, I don't know if you remember when I sent a comment in about my husband downloading the podcast's and we would listen to them on the go when we traveled. She says, we also listen to them during our evening meals or Sundays at breakfast. My husband, Jim Gale, passed away on November 7th, 2020, here in Indy of complications due to COVID-19 after 17 days in the hospital. She says, I know that sometimes you don't think your podcast meaning anything to anyone, but I'm here to tell you they do. These are memories I will cherish sitting with my husband and listening to the different drivers and Mike Hall and Kara Adams and Mike Shank and the French fry and so on, just to name a few. And she says, thank you to us. So it just, oh it just God. struck me. Um, Lynn, and, and Lynn it, just, I, 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 I have no words. That's it's yeah. So I'm not and reading we, this to and, congratulate and, us. I'm just no. reading this because uh, thank you, Graham, for all the hours you spend with us. Not you and I just do this because we love it. We have no concept of of why others listen to it. But just I read, you know, like Lynn, my gosh. I mean, uh, all I can tell you is, boy, um, I can only imagine. But, but thank you. Just put some perspective, does it? Lynn, if you are listening, I'm sending socially distant hugs across the water i all can't imagine love. all of our love absolutely oh good lord all right let's go uh you know we have a, a guy uh buck buck edge bukaj Majeb. 
Okay. Jacob Baim, I think. I'm sorry. I, I was reading that backwards. Uh, Jacob, we love you. We're going to create a Jacob Baim category because he sends in <laughs> so many questions, which we love. I just Quite wish... often that start with, by the way, quite often to start with, something that's been bugging me for a while. Yeah, so let's go with that one because we don't have as much time as we want, Jacob, but thank you. Um, we might, no joke, if, if you were to go back and assemble all the things you've sent in that we haven't answered for the year, I get, I'm, I'm confident, Graham, in saying it would equal at least one to two episodes worth of oh, questions. Easily. So on a lark, and I know, as I think we know you, Jacob, you might do this. Don't be afraid to send in a list uh, of, of Jacob's m- most wanted to be answered questions that weren't for the year. And we just might do it. Um, so, Jacob Babe episode. Yes. Uh, something that's been bugging me for a while now, Jacob says. The Eureka 07. <laughs> has these humongous headlights taking up most of the space ahead of the wheels. But some cars, like the number 38 Yoda, the number 36 Alpine and WEC, have entirely different designs on that part of the car. My question is, are these different designs made by teams slapping some tape or paint on the lamps to differentiate their liveries, or does Eureka actually provide more than one visual design of the hashtag front nose? Uh, the answer is that the nose is very firmly homologated. Every single component of that nose section is homologated. The overall assembly is homologated. And, by the way, cost-capped as well. So that's a key part of the formula that, you know, effectively there is no development of the major components or even so the minor components in that. So if there is a visual difference, you know, if this is one of those questions, NP, that will get me going back and having a look um, yeah, uh, and whether or not we have got differences across uh, the cars or even the liveries on the cars, you know, a team like um, Jota Sport that have got, you know, a customer car with Jackie Chan DC Racing, is that different from the other Jota Sport car? So I'll take a look back and, and have a look at that. The one area where there is a difference, of course, is Le Mans, um, and it's only at Le Mans. So at Le Mans there is a um, low-drag kit that they can only use at Le Mans. That itself is... Uh, is um, is cost capped, uh, more slippery, um, but there there is a difference from the rest of the year and from the cars for that matter you'll see in IMSA. But no, every single nose is absolutely identical. But you know what? That's one of the ones I might just go and ask a couple of questions to the guys and see whether or not they do do something for the visuals. Uh, worth saying as well, by the way. In the uh, the week we've just had, where we've seen the end of the LMP1 era uh, at Bahrain, we can talk about that uh, on next week's show. Um, I did go back and do something that, that part of me wished I hadn't done after I started it, which was to go and find an example of every single car that had ever competed in LMP1 class. Um, and that turned out to be, uh, yeah, I loved doing it, but God, it took me longer than I thought it would. Um, and looking all the way back to where the the aerodynamic themes that we've got on the modern cars emerged from there were two cars mp and a big you know interest in your point of view that i think aside from the kind of coupe sort of things but the aerodynamic concepts that we've got nowadays seem to me 
to have come back down to two cars in that period of time. One was the original Reynard 0-2S, but became the DPA, became the Zytec, became the creation. That was a hugely influential uh, car in terms of its aerodynamics. The other one is something a bit more left field, and that was the Lister Storm LMP. So if you look at that kind of twin pillar front um, of the car, yeah. the, the car that, that certainly brought that to the track, Andy Thorby design, very much more upright and pronounced than perhaps you see that are nowadays on the cars. But that, to me, was in its original form a hugely influential concept. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, boy, I've never, I have not seen the car in person. I've just drooled over it for what decades now um yeah an interesting approach here for sure jacob and that is there's two long-standing thoughts when it comes to designing motor racing vehicles in particular at the front of those vehicles and it applies to all open wheel sports car doesn't matter what it is and it is reducing the frontal area that frontal area, if you think of just doing a silhouette of what the front of the, the leading edge of the front of every vehicle that meets the air, trying to reduce the size of that uh, volume in an effort to be more aerodynamic. It's If you have a brick going into the wind, how can you shape and shave down, minimize the leading edge of that brick? So it does not behave like a brick hitting the air. Therefore, we go faster. Therefore, things are more efficient. Uh, we save fuel. We do all kinds of good things. Interesting shift in mindset on this, and whether it's a Lister Storm, whether it's some of the vehicles you mentioned, or the, the Renard and so on, but we'll just stick with the Eureka 07 since that's Jacob's question. Instead of doing this uh, soft wheel arch that is heavily curved and is as small as possible, but has a soft gradual arc and transition to try and be friendly and less disruptive with the air. What they've done is say, Hey, well, the air approaching the front of the car is very important. That frontal area and reduction that I mentioned, that's very important, but there's also value in treating the air and shaping where it goes and how it does what it does as it travels down the vehicle as well. So priority-wise, understand the reducing frontal area thing, but maybe there is equal or more value in stepping out a bit and trying to adjust how the air travels down the car based on what we might do at the front. See, it's Areka calling in, trying to give us uh, further answers on this. Um, and this is what they've done. And so when I saw it, I just said, ooh, that's smart. Uh, That is very, very smart, trying to effectively fill an area at the hashtag front nose of their prototype that normally is not there. Uh, It's pulled back. It's retracted and such. This I just thought was really, really smart. And as we have seen, based on the car's success in pure LMP2 form and also in DPI form, uh there's something there. Would I expect to see this possibly copied or patterned in some way when we get to the next round of P2s and DPIs? Probably. 
So air management, channeling that air, doing smart things with it, uh, they appear to have found value in going away from a traditional design approach. Fabulous stuff. Uh, what's next, MP? Uh, da, 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 da. Damien Peachman, the season, this season of FIWC, it's the longest FI World Championship ever. That would involve oh, yeah. a lot of research, wouldn't it? No, no, it's it's well. I mean, in terms of how long it was, it I think we worked it out that from the opening of free practice, which is officially uh, the start of uh, the race meeting, as per the regulations, to the end of the race. Uh, in Bahrain, it was 443 days um, for the current or just past FIWEC season. Or put another way, longer than the super season that was designed to be effectively every year and a half. So that's another impact that um, uh, these triple times have actually had on us. And it has felt like a very – I have to say it, it's a struggle to remember what happened in that first race. Um, and that has felt like a very long time. And, and what I was seeing – Actually, throughout the uh, the the week I've been here, um, again with travel difficulties and cancellation of flights, it's been a longer trip than it should have been. Um, four days has turned into better part of eight. Uh, a lot of very tired people, a lot of very tired people indeed, and that I think is the case across all of world motorsports. Um, I can't remember whether or not we mentioned this on last week's show, but uh, at Silverstone last weekend was talking to one of the members of one of the GT3 teams in the UK, Optimum Motorsport. They campaign a variety of McLaren 720S GT3 cars in a, uh, a lot of different series. They, many of their guys have been on the road, and that was the end of the program for them after 17 consecutive racing weekends. Um, that's how compressed those programs have become. If you've got a uh, customer or a series of customers who are prepared to invest in in just getting on track and you know obviously after a better part of four or five months with not but a lot of income you've got to take it where you can get it but it is exhausting so you know that's another thank you isn't it to everybody that's uh, that's worked so hard to keep things uh, on track to get us back onto track but yes it has felt like a very long season i'm looking forward to a little bit of downtime before we get into um whatever racing happens wherever it happens uh, through the european winter so mate we do have a handful of additional weckasm elms echo questions we could get into so need guidance from you knowing that we are past the we're almost at 55 minutes and we have a little basically about an hour um do we want to transition into other categories or stay here uh, i think this one that actually will transition to us uh, to a different category but it's one of the uh hair general uh that kind of crosses into weck asms elms echo and that one comes from together 380 uh and talks about asia le mans series there's some some information i can probably share with you there um, where he's asking, uh, I think, about whether or not the cancellation of GT World Challenge Asia means we'll see an increase in the number of GT cars in the Asia Le Mans series. Um, the answer is be patient for a few more days. Um, I'm expecting some very positive news uh, about the Asia Le Mans series. I think there's all sorts of challenges at the moment in terms of um, getting race meetings uh, and race series underway. Everything I'm hearing from teams, everything I'm hearing from teams is extremely positive. And that, by the way, is from European teams and teams in Asia as well. I will have some news I can break 
about uh, the state of health of the entry for uh, the Asian Le Mans series and some specifics in the coming days. But uh, if you had asked me a blunt question, what am I expecting? Well, we can have three classes. There will be LMP2 with the current cars, LMP3 with the new current cars, and GT3. I'm expecting healthy entries in all three for the Asian Le Mans series. And at the moment, um, I know there's a number, and it's quite a good number of, of teams and cars that are committed. And there's uh, a probably fairly equal number that are sitting there and waiting to push the button. So um, it's, it's either going to be um, a reasonably good grid, or an absolutely spectacular grid, or at some point in between. Uh, and even if it, it hits the, the bottom end of that in these times, that is something to be celebrated. So that's what I can say from there. As for will, the car, will cars be coming from Asia, a lot of that is going to be determined, isn't it, by what is happening you know, in the, at the point at which you have to freight those cars. It is a very movable feast. I mean, as a, for instance, MP... Uh, I have some work outside of daily sports car um, that should be happening in the next week or so. I'm waiting for a call to tell me whether or not I can get on a plane and go there. Um, it's not whether or not the work is available. The work is available. The uh, the activities are happening. It's whether or not I will be permitted by law to go to that different country. That's not in Asia, by the way. That is in Europe. Um, so, we're dealing with all of those things at the moment, uh, the availability of travel, the ability to travel. And if I were to tell you, by the way, uh, for those of you that are kind of at home and and um, being consumers of all of this, let me give you just a bit of a window on what it's like at the moment with international travel. My flight, which leaves in about six hours time from here in Bahrain, that is my fifth alternative flight Um to come home from uh, Bahrain, from the kingdom, uh, going back to the UK. And the four other cancellations happened within three days. Um, and that's not been unusual here uh, with the the teams and the uh, the organisation staff, etc., etc. Um, it is not an easy thing at the moment to plan travel. If it's, if it's that difficult for an individual, imagine what it's like for an organization and for a team and when you've got people and freight so the enemy at the moment isn't just the virus the enemy is the ability to plan with confidence and i know that's what uh, everybody in international business is struggling with and international motorsport is absolutely no different but to answer the general question the answer is it is looking healthy i know there are entries uh, GT entries from the continent of Asia. What I don't know yet is just how many of those we're going to get. Let's go to Daniel Summerskill again. Says MP, great to see you're back uh, where you belong at an actual racetrack. Referring to me being at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca last week for uh, uh, IndyCar test. I wasn't there for the test. Actually, I was there for uh, a non-reporting reason. Uh, he says I have to ask who is responsible for the British Racing Green Ford GT <laughs> in the parking lot. Uh, says plain British racing green just looks wrong on the four GT. Someone needs to get their money back. Daniel, like uh, we pulled out a red card on Graham. I'm sorry, yellow. You get the red card here. Um, and I know there are a couple of people who are like, that's the ugliest thing ever. It was stunning. Uh, first of all, never anticipated a new modern four GT in BRG. And it was magnificent uh it looked amazing in person the photo that i took 
uh, of the paddock with the Chip Ganassi Racing Transporter and then uh, the Ford GT. I don't know if he owns it or if it was a client car or what it was, but uh, that was brought to the track by a certain Bruce Canepa. Uh, who oh. has all of the best cars in the uh, Ooh, general Monterey literally. area. Um, it, it was amazing. So, and I have to, I seem to recall that uh, back in the original four GT days that there was at least one BRG um, machine done up in your national racing colors, Graham. So again, mm-hmm. maybe it didn't translate in the photo. But I can tell you that there were a lot of folks, uh, a certain D. Frankiti from the land of Scots, who was also just gobsmacked by how beautiful it was. So uh, uh. there you go. But if, if someone wants to give money back, I'll take it, even though it wasn't mine. <laughs> uh, let's see. Why don't we go to one here that is very specifically Graham Goodwin uh, from a, a Gummer's Samuels Gill. Uh, Graham, have you seen Harry King, who has already uh-huh. won the Genetta G4 Super Cup? I love how. Like, even though it's super. 15 levels below, like, GT3 <laughs> Super Cup uh, title and has dominated this season's Porsche Carrera Cup GB, winning every race he has finished in the championship in his rookie year. Would you think that a career in sporty cars could be possible for young Harry King? Well, the answer is yes. I mean, and I think this is the the great part of that uh, that ladder and you know kudos to Ginetta for what they do for the um the, the ladder that they provided for UK motorsport. Um care to I don't know if you know this. Who would you guess uh, MP is the most prominent person in world motorsports today that came through the Ginetta ladder? Kimi Raikkonen. Lando Norris. Lando Norris Yes, Lando. Wow. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the number of people. I remember doing a piece of work a little while ago and looking at the British Touring Car Championship. And at that point, I think I'm right that two-thirds of the British Touring Car grid had at one point or another raced in one or other or more of the Ginetta One Make Championships in the UK. Um, it's quite staggering in terms of the contribution that's made as an affordable, accessible, definable ladder. So in terms of young Mr. King, I've not met him. I have heard uh, that he has prodigious talent. And judging by some of the alumni of the two championships that you mention, the answer is zero doubt if he's winning and winning that well, that he has the kind of talent that's going to be needed to forge a career. The key to it is going to be two things. One, of course, is going to be the availability of budget or uh, someone to actually take him under their wing and allow him to show off his talents. And two is where he he decides he wants to go. We have seen people coming through um, Grey Cup GB and the Ginetta Super Cup, both of which are on the TOCA support bill for British touring cars, and that their defined uh, path is going to be uh, through and into touring cars. I uh, case of the prosecution, Malud would be uh, one Mr. Daniel Camish, um, uh, you know, similarly dominant, as made made pretty clear quite early on that that was where he wanted his career to do, and he's of course going forward and doing very well with that. Um, always like to grab the best talent, of course. I'd love to see him getting a shot at trying out a GT car or even a prototype car uh, sooner rather than later. And hopefully the finances work and that the young man's career can continue on a somewhat linear theme. But uh, yes, uh, if he's good in that, he'll be good in anything. See, where else should we go? 
I think, although we have a number of questions here, we are past the one-hour mark, so we're going to go to fun very quickly. I know you select the categories. It's the only one left. I, right, think, no I, I think I predicted that one correctly. Uh, we have yet another question from Daniel. Uh, send that one back in. I enjoy the question about P1. Um, I think we're just going to close here. Uh, no, two questions. Uh, three questions. Right turn lever. We wouldn't. This wouldn't be a show without a question from RTL. Also, I think German broadcaster uh, asks, I think for the second time, is it time for some Arctic velvet this week? Grand oh, Bedouin? it's been, it's, been it's, it's far more than the second time. RTL, I think, is Luxembourg, isn't it? I think it is Luxembourg. I don't, RTL. Luxembourg isn't real. First of all, we need to debunk that. Uh, Luxembourg <laughs> is, is the only country on flat Earth, but it's a separate little small planet. Excellent. The other thing is. If you could get a beef burger and a hamburger, what's a Luxem? Is that? I believe um, it's a very small version of an oxen. So I, I do have a little bit of insight into Arctic. Arctic Velvet, of course, was a uh, sponsor, a long-time sponsor, in fact, of Rebellion Racing. And a variety of products that go with that, including some premium liquor brands, I think, as you'd say, across the United States, spirits. Um, there's quite an interesting story behind it. If my source is correct arctic velvet is a uh, consortium of uh, individuals who who own a significant chunk of the arctic and that the uh, ice flows that are involved in that are a very significant proportion um, of the available fresh water on this here planet of ours and that's making things like spirits from that, uh, very pure water, et cetera, et cetera, was deemed to be a marketable proposition. I'll say this much. Uh, if my sources are correct, and they generally tend to be, uh, they were completely crap at paying their bills. Oh, that's not good. So I think the answer is, are you likely to see that back in a race car anywhere? No. Uh, our pal Fleetwood Marky Moose asks if I would consider using – uh, granted, this is sent into the sports car show for the IndyCar show, asking if I would use Lloyd Ruby's 1970-8500 delivery for next year's uh, week in IndyCar show logo uh, livery on the whatever vehicle. Very possible. Thanks for sending that in. That wasn't one of the final ones to close, though. James Counter, you are the penultimate man, says, what is your favorite bit of team wear or racing-related item of clothing that you wear as part that you wear as part of your normal Daily or weekly clothing attire? Uh, not a lot. I mean, um, I don't have a lot of uh, team wear. I've got a fair amount of kit that I wear as part of my, um, whether or not it's Asian Le Mans series, European Le Mans series, the past, and, and uh, WEC. Um, I do have a very, very um, favorite coat that I have, um, which I often take out if it's absolutely heaving it down with rain. The WEC raincoat that we've got is both there's the husky um what's he doing in bahrain um that uh, i do often take uh, take um the dsc husky out for a walk wearing that other than that you put a coat ten- on your dog 
No, 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 he doesn't need a coat. He does, however, need a bath. I'm told he oh. reeks uh, when I get back. I think he's been, uh, I think he's been rolling in something unspeakable. And uh, being something like 30 kilos, uh, it's quite difficult for Trudy to lift him into the bath. So he's going to get a pressure washing when I get to get to him uh, when I get home tomorrow. Um, so the answer is not a lot of that. Uh, in terms of favourite bits that I wouldn't wear, that I've just, ha- I-, I did have, bought it on eBay. Um, Mark Blundell's Nissan jacket. Really? Yeah. Holy and here's cow. The, now, but here's the thing. Uh, for a photo shoot, I allowed a guy who owned one of the similar cars to borrow it. And guess what? He didn't return it? Bingo. What is this person's name? I can't remember. Oh, <laughs> This was some little time ago. Um, <laughs> it'll it'll come back, and I have no doubt that that still exists. And as I recall, this gentleman, I think he is a gentleman. I think things just moved on a little bit. I have no doubt I'll get it back at some point. But I paid next to nothing for it. But it is Mark Blundell's jacket. Oh, well, we've got to solve that. Uh, similar answer here, being someone who's supposed to be in the middle, uh, it's hard to show up to a race wearing a hat or a shirt or whatever representing any team uh, or driver and being a reporter. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't really happen publicly uh, at home. Privately, also, it really doesn't happen much. There is a bit of a fun transition, though, Graham, in that if I were to put on a name whatever team, uh Porsche GT team t-shirt or hat or whatever um and were to be seen in it then it would probably be a question of like uh isn't that showing some sort of bias if we were to move forward 5 years uh all of a sudden or 10 years I'd be wearing something cool and retro so yep. the the answer to this is in terms of stuff from today nothing uh what I normally wear what I'm wearing right now one of the cool things about having torontomotorsports.com as one of our, our longstanding sponsors of the show is I'll have an idea for something, and within about two weeks, I'll have those T-shirts show up. So right now, I'm wearing a T-shirt celebrating Hiro Matsushita, who received the nickname King Hero from Emerson Fittipaldi uh, mm. after Hero's uh, blocking and somewhat inept uh, driving in front of the Formula One and IndyCar champ. Uh, and as the story goes, and some of you may know, uh, he got the nickname King Hero because Emerson uh, was not aware that there was a slight delay while driving from when he pressed the radio button uh, to when the transmission started. So he was keying the mic button a wee bit prematurely to vent about young Mr. Matsushita to his team. And let's just say that uh, there needs to be an apostrophe mark uh, in front of the K for King because there's an F-U missing. So um, that's where the nickname King Hero came from. And then my pal, who I paid and commissioned to do the art, Roger Warwick, drew kind of an exploding, blowing up Hero Matsushita in an indie car, giving a thumbs up with King Hero on top. So... I tend to wear my own stuff, uh, frankly, and even when I'm at the racetrack, I'll probably wear some sort of uh, weekend indie car, weekend sports cars, something like that T-shirt. Uh, I'm fat enough that P- 
people probably don't see it because I've got some sort of button-down overshirt over it. Short sleeve, of course, so it's covered up, but that tends to be what I wear. But, uh, yeah, I have a lot of other stuff, though. I have a lot of crew shirts that from my own days working, Graham, even some things that I've bought because I like them. And I'm at that place where I'm never going to open a Marshall Prout Museum because no one gives a crap. Uh, I don't have the money to do it. So I'm at that stage in life where I'm starting to question, should I release some of these things back into the wild? Because they're doing nothing packed away in my closet or storage. So, You've just reminded me, oddly enough, I'm wearing a a motorsport shirt. Completely forgot that. What am I wearing right now? And it actually is one of my favorites. I have two of them from two different years. And these are uh, very good in the kind of climate at the moment, uh, both from the Bathurst 12-hour. Free Scott Um, Tucker. Free Scott Tucker. The final one I'll give you, it's not you and it's not me, but I do like his style in this instance. Because, of course, you did mention not turning up with something that's actually showing in any, any sort of favor. But uh, almost inevitably, when we come to somewhere sunny, um, Autosports' Gary Watkins, uh, when prowling the paddock, will be wearing a Pirelli hat at the WEC, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's almost contrarian, I've heard. Uh, I do have a slight, I do have a small container full of of apparel and whatnot that I am intending to sell here or start to, again, set free. One of them being an original, uh, new, unworn, even with the tag still hanging on it, uh, Farnbacher Lowell's hat. Uh, from the ALMS. So, uh, yeah, if you happen to live in the kind of upper northeast in the U.S. and want to get that at, uh, autographed by uh, one of the people's names on it, uh, I don't know what they do in terms of prison visit scheduling, but uh, Greg Wolves <laughs> might be able to uh, sign it virtually across a very thick piece of plexiglass. So. Uh- and I, I know, and I know for the final offering from me on this one. I know I've mentioned this before on the show, but uh, I know we've been picking up listeners. I do have two caps I treasure and will never um, let go. Uh, there's one that I might to one person. Uh, one of them is uh, the one of the winners' cap from the only um, international race at TVR ever won. And that's signed by uh, all six drivers from the two cars. They finished one two at the thousand kilometres of. Uh, spa back in who knows when uh, the other one is and i know i've mentioned this before i apologize but i love it dearly is the is alan simonson's winner's cap oh, uh, signed by wow. alan and by uh, hector lester his co-driver for the first ever gt3 race because they won that race um at uh silverstone and i have that cap signed by both uh the uh, late and very great alan simonson and hector lester at silverstone in 2006 wow well let's go to the last question i think it's kind of more in my little world than yours this comes from our good pal lance snyder says it's time for a podcast wrestling tag team triple threat match match one uh, is uh, match one is fall no count outs, all must be tagged in at some point. In one corner, you have the Ask Off Track podcast with James Hinchcliffe and Alexander Rossi. In the other corner, you have the uh, DWR show, Dinner with Racers, being Sean Heckman and Ryan Eversley. And finally, the Weekend Sports Cars is the third tag team with you and I. Who wins, who loses, who cheats the most? Um, well, that some i mean it's it's a really dumb question lance cuz these are so easy to answer uh Sean Heckman known industry wide for his cheating 
right, yes. uh, has been penalized, yes. thrown out, uh, had his results just absolutely stripped from the record books in IMSA, the American Le Mans Series Grand Am, so many times he actually had to leave. He no longer works uh, no. in the paddock, does, uh, left altogether. Does he, does, he, does he work at all? He does. Um, Simi Valley uh, in Southern California okay. in the film industry, uh, I believe that also known as um, where the world's vast majority of pornography is uh, manufactured. Oh. So a little bit of a little bit of a revelation there as to what he's moved on to. We won't say in what capacity, but that is a known thing. So yeah, Heckman, biggest cheater. We know that it's just uh, it's a unsavory part of his personality. But uh, Ryan Eversley chooses to look past it. Um, you want to know who wins? I mean, this is a silly thing. So. It, it, we're in uh, the squared circle, as they like to call it, uh, which means, in theory, you can't run away, right? So the one thing that I always tell you, I'm never going to beat anybody in a foot race, okay? It, there's a lot of mass to get up and moving, and the top speed is somewhat limited. But if we're talking about having all the other people, not Graham, but all the others, in a confined space, I mean, it's not even it's not even close. I mean, look, no. uh, knock out all of them easily sit on all of them with joy and fart on them while I'm sitting on them and just grinning. So again, you know, they're, they're wiry. They've got endurance, right? They're, they're most of them except again, well, Sean possibly as well, depending on his role in pornography. Um, yeah, I mean, line all them up. Well, obviously as well, obviously it'll be not the face, not the face all the time. It will be. That's, that, that's where, you know, that's the payoff is those boys. Good looks of his thing is Eversley though. And I don't have evidence of this, but he hangs but that's with, not stop us. yeah, but he hangs with a group of fairly hearty people. He looks like he could take a punch and give a punch again. Uh, none of them frighten me in the least. So I'm feeling confident. And although wrestling is, you know, air quote fake, um, you know, there might be the, the people's elbow might sneak in there and there might be some, you know, there it'd be fun, but yeah. Um, I, I think we, I think the weekend sports cars wins handily what we need an answer to, which is going to close the show. What the hell are you doing in this? What's your role, Graham? Uh, tell us what you do in the ring. Cause you're the only one I can't figure out what you'd be, what you'd be doing. I like to act on a kind of purely consultative basis in these kind of matters and managerial capacity. Ah. So I, I'd be basically standing there, basically shouting, hit him or sit on him. Conducting. Conducting, you see. It's, it's, this is where my skill set comes into it. I mean, you know, I've, I can't remember the last time I had a physical fist fight. It's a long time ago. Um, I tended, because uh, I, I don't do being bullied Ever. Ever. I want to hear about the non-physical fist fights, by the way. Oh, Since- fair enough. Uh, the, here's my fist, and I'm threatening you. Yeah. But um, the <laughs> uh, I have got myself into trouble by not allowing myself to be bullied by people rather larger and uh, more physically able uh, in terms of violence than I am. Um, so it's not quite the you should have seen the other guy. The other guy will be bearing some damage, but probably not as much as me. But here's the thing. Only ever happened once with any of them, ever. Um, it, it tends to be my mindset, Marshall, through life, which is don't accept it, don't be afraid. Um, and that means I've got my ass kicked at school quite a lot. 
Wow. Well, amen to you. Thank you, brother. You're my not only favorite, favorite friend when it comes to doing this show. Do you realize you're the only person that I do my podcast with? Uh, like the only one who is my partner in doing this. I realize that we have lots of guests and I yada, 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 but truly you're the only one, Graham Goodwin. And, uh, I appreciate you so much for the time that you spend. I'm over the last year, uh, plus doing all this from sitting in the luxury of home. You, dear listener, again, we apologize that sometimes the show comes out later than anticipated. You aren't just saying we'll get to this once I get back home. You are making yourself available on minimal sleep, crazy travel schedules, crazy work schedules. Having just called a big season finale, had almost zero sleep, took a little cat nap to try and do this, running out the door to do some crazy adventure to get home. Uh, between the two of us over the last good while, you're the one who has made the vast majority of sacrifices. And I don't thank you enough for that. And I don't uh, remind our listeners enough that uh, I really, love it. truly. I love it. Uh, you're you're a hero here to me, pal. Shall I take it home? You should. Well, it's uh, the end of another week. The Week in Sports Cars will be coming back to you very shortly, just a few days' time, and look out for the question call for the special we'll do on the end of the season in Bahrain for the WEC, and in particular the crazy, crazy end of season for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. But for now, and as always, with thanks to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, Bell Racing Helmets USA and to torontomotorsports.com I have been Graham Goodwin he has been Marshall Pruitt a very special good night to you Lynn Henderson-Gale from both of us God bless you uh, we'll speak to you next week